Our first lesson for this Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday is from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, the second chapter. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, I ask the congregation to remain seated for this reading of the Holy Gospel from St. Matthew, chapter 27, beginning at the 11th verse. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single char- to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. Now the feast of the governor, now at the feast of the, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to, him, said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, 
They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments by them, casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran at once and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those that were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were many women there, looking from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Mary and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Next day, that is, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We rise... In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. I'm so glad to see everyone here this evening, and what a very important uh, worship service it is. 
as well as our services tomorrow and Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and of course, Easter Sunday next week. This is called Holy Week. And when you walk out of here tonight, I hope you will really, really understand why it is called that. There are so many similarities, really, and one of the emphases I want to make in the message tonight, similarities between the very first Holy Week and this Holy Week, even though they are separated by almost 2,000 years. For both weeks were about the age-old problem of sin and the eternal reality of salvation, and that is what joins all these things together. Holy Week is a tremendous, important part of the Bible. There are so many things that we could be talking about. The last of Jesus' parables, the Last Supper, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, the malfeasance of Pontius Pilate, the soldiers' mockery, uh, Simon of Cyrene being compelled to bear the cross, the thieves that were crucified on one side and the other of Jesus, the centurion who boldly confessed Christ to be the Son of God, the women at the cross, the burial. These are all wonderful sermons in and of themselves, each one of them. We'll hear more about some of them this week in our Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services. But for tonight, I want to focus on just two parts of Holy Week. One has to do with the Jewish Sanhedrin, as Matthew calls it, the envy of the Sanhedrin. And the other is the exchange of this fellow by the name of Barabbas. Let's begin with the envy of the Sanhedrin. It has always amazed me this great desire to kill Jesus. It comes up in a number of places in the Bible. This wasn't the only time there was an attempt on his life. Basically, the reason for his murder was for the crime of blasphemy. Caiaphas, the high priest, ripped his robe, which was customary to do when you're really angry, when Jesus confessed himself to be the Messiah. The Hebrew word for blasphemy is nakav, and it literally means to pierce. So blasphemy is piercing the name and the word of God. It is used in the Old Testament for the young man from the tribe of Dan, the book of Leviticus, who cursed God. It is used of an Assyrian general who blasphemed by telling the people of Jerusalem not to trust in God. It is used by Isaiah and Ezekiel for religious leaders of Israel who were mixing together the religion of Yahweh and the religion of their idols. But the question still remains, was Jesus blaspheming when he claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah? There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfills them all. And there has certainly never been anyone before or after him that has come even close to fulfilling those prophecies. There's a deeper problem going on here. And the problem was that Caiaphas and his followers did not want a Messiah who was bringing the forgiveness of sins and salvation into the world. This comes up early in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 
If you remember the account of the paralyzed man who was lowered down through the roof right in front of Jesus because there were so many people crowding around him. And the first thing Jesus said to the man was, Son, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, the scribes accused Jesus of blasphemy because he proclaimed forgiveness. This is the real problem. This is what they were rejecting. A Messiah bringing salvation, and of all things, by faith. And to make it even worse, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. You see, these folks had sold themselves to works righteousness. This is the idea that I don't have to fall on my knees and say to the Lord, have mercy on me, I am a sinner, and I need to be saved. This is what I like to call the second oldest religion in the world. And it is a religion that says I'm really not that bad of a person and God will save me because I'm good enough. The oldest religion is the eternal religion, the religion of salvation by faith. When Adam and Eve sinned, God came and found them out as they were hiding and they were afraid of him. And he brought them to repentance and to forgiveness and he promised There's where it all begins. He promised them one of their descendants would finally destroy evil. He didn't say to them, now Adam, because you did this, you owe me, and you have to be good, and you have to overcome evil yourself. No, as is always the religion of salvation by faith, it is based on promise, and promises are secured only by faith. And so this is an important thing to recognize and how many people of the world do not like this religion. To them it is humiliating. It makes all men equal. And there is no room in this religion for pride. So they rather choose to make their own religion. And even though they may use the Bible, they tweak it in many different ways to fit their religion, especially minimizing the seriousness of the law and also turning the gospel into a law itself, mainly making it about our love for others rather than God's love and his sacrifice for us. Sounds noble on the surface, helping the poor and so on, but it's all really window dressing because it's only a kind of sacrifice that's done when it is convenient and comfortable to us. And modern men especially shove this off to the government. Jesus came to be crucified. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. And he was crucified because he was bringing this salvation by faith into the world. And so the prophets were killed before him and the apostles after him. The self-righteousness religion is the religion of the devil. The demons were always trying to interfere with it in Jesus' ministry. And the Apostle John tells us in his gospel that the devil put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. That is the envy of the Sanhedrin and the problem of self-righteousness. Let's move on now to the great exchange of Barabbas. We could say that this religion of self-righteousness is just as alive today as it was at the very first Holy Week. And just as there was the cry to crucify Christ, so also there's a cry today to crucify the gospel, to water down the Ten Commandments, to turn Jesus into a political agitator 
not the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And just as a soldier spit on Jesus and berated him and beat him, so multitudes today are led by the same demons to mock and to silence those who would live by and proclaim the gospel of forgiveness for the sake of Jesus Christ, who believe in the commandments and the creeds. So what is our response to all of this? What should we do? Well, the first step is not to hold fast or to fight the good fight or to love one another. Those are all good things that we will do. But the first step is repentance and forgiveness. This is always the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything in our Christian faith. For without it, we are still under the power of the evil one. And so the Holy Week back 2,000 years ago is like the Holy Week today. Our evil thoughts pierce Jesus' skull like the thorns in his crown. Our gossip mocks Jesus just as much as the mockery of the soldiers. And our lack of love, even for our family, for our neighbors, and especially for our enemies, is just as bad as the nails that pierce the hands and the feet of Jesus. But the beautiful thing about all of this is at the first Holy Week and in this Holy Week, Jesus is present and he is the righteous one, the perfect lamb of God who takes away, as John the Baptist told at the very beginning of his ministry, the sins of the world, even the sins of Judas, if he would have believed of the Sanhedrin, of Pilate, of the soldiers, and of us. Peter explained it this way, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's what Palm Sunday, that's what Holy Week, that's what Good Friday and Easter are all about. So what about this Barabbas guy? Uh, Matthew tells us he was a notorious prisoner. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He was trying to find a way to get him released. And this was his last deal, his last uh, kind of judicial trick in order to free Jesus, thinking perhaps that maybe the people would choose the guy who had healed thousands of people and let the notorious prisoner, on the other hand, be crucified. But in fact, it it did not happen that way. As we all know, and as I just read, it was an amazing choice. This is one of the reasons why I truly believe the Bible is not a fairy tale book. You couldn't make this up. This exchange, this choice of Barabbas is as iconic as anything else in the whole Bible to show us what Christ is all about, that he came to be the one who would exchange places with us, to to exchange places with Barabbas. As Peter said, the just for the unjust. Caiaphas, the high priest, ironically had done something very similar to that early on as they were plotting to kill Jesus. Caiaphas advised the Sanhedrin, it's better for one man to die for the people. How true his words were, even though he did not understand what it meant at the moment. So Barabbas was exchanged. He went free. Now here's the thing that everybody wonders about Barabbas. What happened to him? No one knows. 
Barabbas may have become a Christian. We just don't know. There's no other historical record about him other than the ones we read about in the Gospels. I titled this sermon, Am I Barabbas? Well, you're not Barabbas in the sense that you're a notorious prisoner, and you're not Judas in the way Judas betrayed Jesus brazenly. and You're not like the soldiers or the Sanhedrin that mocked Jesus. And yet, as I said before, in other ways, we are like all of those people. We are still sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And yes, beautifully, we are also like Barabbas in this sense that Jesus took our place. That Jesus, like Barabbas, was set free, so also Jesus set us free as well. Free from sin and its power and above all, its ultimate consequence, hell. So for this Holy Week, I want to encourage you all to spend your time in meditating over this great mystery and wonder about Barabbas. Maybe the life you would have thought he might have lived as a result of what happened to him can indeed be the life you and I can live right now today. We can be inspired as we want to be the way we, had, we would hope Barabbas might have turned out. Are there changes that need to be made in our lives? And let's pursue them with the forgiveness of Jesus. Are there dark places we need to leave? Then we will pursue those with forgiveness in Jesus. Are there fears and doubts that need to be overcome? Then we will overcome them with forgiveness in Christ and freedom in Christ? Are there battles and temptations and frustrations in front of us? Yes, there are. And we will also overcome them in the same way through the forgiveness and the freedom that God has given to us in Jesus. Today, tomorrow, is the beginning of Holy Week. And as you know, I sometimes like to give you little homework assignments and I have one for you tonight. I'd like you to read this week, Matthew chapters 21 to 28. It's one chapter a day. These are the chapters we call Holy Week in the Bible. And as you read those chapters, I'd like you to ponder again and meditate upon and consider why this week is truly called Holy Week. Because it is the week when this sinful world was made holy again by Jesus. Amen. Please rise.